Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is the Ruler Podcast, brought to you by Lacquer, bicycle insurance powered by the community. Alongside the legends of the sport at this year's Ruler Classic, one of the most popular guests was the young Danish rider Cecily Utrup Ludwig. Quite an achievement for someone who, barely three years ago, was still fitting in her training rides in between shifts at the supermarket. Her popularity owes much to her attacking style of racing, but also to her uniquely enthusiastic post-race interviews. If you haven't seen one, check out her reactions after this year's Tour of Flanders on YouTube. So how did she get started in cycling? So I was actually a former swimmer, but then, yeah, I felt bad every time I was in the water. And then, yeah, obviously I needed to do something different. And then I tried all the sports that you can think of but you know nothing really catched my attention until the local newspaper had a lo- you know an article that uh, the local cycling club had 90 years birthday and they invited people to come down and have a chat and i thought hmm, you know why not come down and have a chat and see if that's something for me and how old and, were you then um yeah i was 12 13 yeah and ever since i've been cycling so um yeah it really it really caught my attention and i uh, and did you realize right at the start that actually you were probably going to be quite good at this <laughs> no no but i had a quite good uh, shape um coming into cycling because i've always done sports in my life um so i think it was an easier transition um to cycling but uh, but no i mean i just love the the sport and and obviously i also love the competition so um, what was it about cycling that you really loved compared to other sports what is it about riding your bike because you obviously enjoy riding your oh bike. i do a lot <laughs> um i think there's so many aspects of of cycling that i love so the obvious one is that it's outside and you get fresh air and see so many cool uh, landscapes and you know depending on where in the world you travel to Um, and what I do also love more and more about cycling and also about racing is that there's so many aspects of cycling like you can become better at cornering you can become better at descending you can be better tactic wise and obviously also physically um so there's so many things you can improve and uh yeah that's i think that's why i love cycling so much and how did you end up becoming a professional because yeah it's, it's not a huge scene the women's <laughs> cycling scene at yeah. the, uh, even at the moment um was it a struggle to uh, get through to the professional ranks 
Um, I think it's always a big step for, for a young rider as there's no U23 category for women. So yeah, you come from junior and riding 60, 70 Ks and then bam, the next year, you know, you're competing in elite and riding 140 K, you know, so double up um, and it's harder and you know, the, the competition is stronger and yeah, so there's no no middle category where you know the men may might get you know a bit of success in in the in that category and slowly you know um, move on to elite. Um, so yeah, I guess at first you get a lot of uh, hit or you know you you're not that successful or I wasn't, um, but then you know you believe in it because you know you're like one day i want to be one of the best you know um and yeah i think that's what i did you know i, I kept on believing and uh, and yeah at the end that's what got me uh, a contract as a pro but three four years ago you were still you still had a job didn't you you know outside cycling in in order to um fund your cycling yeah exactly because three years ago yeah um I was at a at a Danish team, a Danish UCI team, and uh, we didn't get any money for cycling. Um, so yeah, I, I had to get money somehow, and that's why I worked in a supermarket <laughs> to just um, yeah get a bit of money to live actually. Um, yeah, because I I've only been um, hi at high school, so uh, yeah, uh, don't have any further education. So that's why you know I needed. Um, How did you fit in the training around oh, the kind of a, yeah, a see, job? That, that was also a bit difficult, you know, because either it was like early in the morning and then, uh, you know, getting the training done and then coming into work too late in the evening and closing the shop. Or it would be, um, yeah, obviously working in the morning and then at five o'clock or so, you know, rushing back home and changing and then out while it was dark and training a lot. And, you know, at that time I was like, yeah, I mean, this is just how it is. Or, you know, I didn't really think of it. But, yeah, when I look back, I, I also kind of smile like, whoa. I managed to do a lot, you know, at that point. Um, yeah. And are there signs that it's getting better for women cyclists now, even just in the past couple of years? Definitely. And also now with the with the world tours, I mean, with the minimum salary. So um, the women cycling is definitely moving forward and moving in the right direction. Um, there's still a way to go, but... Um, but it's 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 getting better for and and the terms of of the salary and stuff it's um we're on our way i think one of the things that uh makes you a bit of a favorite of a lot of fans is not just um the fact that you you know you're so uh, enthusiastic in your in your interviews but also you're an enthusiastic racer aren't you you love to race you love to kind of s split things up a bit I and, know. and go for it yeah. is it have you always been like that <sighs> That's a good question. Um, if I've always been, I, I guess you know, in the beginning, you know, you're you're a bit more, or I was a bit more, um, you say held back, or or you're a bit more. Um, I don't I don't know the the words in English, but yeah, you're a bit more careful and and a bit then more reserved with, or cautious. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then you get a bit more um, confidence, and then yeah, I mean because that's. That's how I love racing, um, to go out there and, and to attack and to make the race hard. Um, yeah, the, the harder the better. And it's 
paying off, isn't it? I mean, you know, you've had some good results um, this year uh, riding for um, Bigler. Uh, next year, you are with Francaise de Jeu Nouvelle Aquitaine Futuroscope. <laughs> nice, well pronounced. <laughs> um, uh, you're looking forward to that? Yeah, I'm super excited. It will be, uh, yeah, a new environment for me, and I think uh, that's also a good thing um, to, uh, yeah, to uh, develop me even more as a as a cyclist. Because seriously, I think I've just begun my journey, really, um, and I still have a lot to learn. Um, so I'm just, uh, you know, like I'm like a sponge, you know, sucking up all the knowledge and all the good things to become a better rider. And what's the big target for next year, do you reckon, for you? Ooh, mm, there's many. I mean, I, some of the races that's close to my heart is... Um, Estrada Bianchi and Flanders and you know all these so cool spring classics like I'm uh, you know I'm like a horse you know like who wants to get out of uh, I don't know what you call it but you know like I'm like uh, set me loose you know I want to race so I'm just I'm really excited to be doing the spring classics and yeah obviously it's Olympic year next year so um, oh, it would be a dream come true to, uh, to, to be at, uh, in Tokyo next year Okay, we'll look forward to watching you for next year and for many years to come. Thank you for joining us. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Cecily Utrup Ludwig. For young British riders, the Dave Rayner Fund has provided a source of financial and logistical support since it was set up 23 years ago. In particular, it's helped them get crucial experience racing in Europe. The fund has recently been granted charitable status, which should make it easier to generate income and expand its activities. And in future, it'll be known as the Rayner Foundation. Tim Harris and Joss Ryan have been involved since the start, and they were at the Ruler Classic with young riders George Jarry and Isabel Stone. Tim explained the story behind the fund. Dave Rayner was a good friend, first of all, but also a teammate. Uh, we were in the Rally uh, Banana team together. And uh, Dave was an uh, enormous talent. And uh, who went on after the Rally Banana team, we both went our separate ways. He ended up at uh, Buckler in, uh, in Holland and I ended up at Festina in Spain. So we had a very good relationship. Unfortunately, on a certain night, uh, there was um, a night out in, uh, in Yorkshire and there was a bit of an altercation in a, in a nightclub, just no, nothing, but he was pushed by a bouncer. He fell wrong, uh, hit his head, and uh, he unfortunately uh, died. Which must have had a, a, a terrible impact on his friends and family. And the uh, no, it was, just, the, it, the... it was just terrible because he was such a vibrant, uh, a vibrant person, and he was always the life and soul of the of the party or wherever he was with Dave. It was fun. So for him to pass away so tragically was 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 really really hard. And afterwards. Um, a lot of friends decided to um, uh, make a fund, they call it the Dave Rayner Fund, uh, just to try and get a few pounds together to try, because David raced in Italy, he'd raced in the same team as Mario Cipollini in Toscana. We wanted to uh, get money in really to, to send the next, uh, to do something that Dave did and Dave loved, which was racing abroad. Uh, so it wasn't any grand ambitions, to be honest, in, in, in the beginning. Um, but it's gone and then Dave Miller was the first uh, rider who, who had that money and Charlie Regalius who went on to be very obviously very good uh, top riders and that's how it's the story how, of how it began Joss since then it's uh, helped 
all kinds of uh, riders and gone from strength to strength. Do you know, uh, c- can you tell us some of the sort of big names after David Miller that have been through it? David Miller was mentioned, Charlie Wagalius in the same era was Jamie Burrow, Tom Southam, both of them still working in, in the cycling business. Um, moving on a little bit further, we've got the likes of um, Dan Martin, Adam Yates, Dan McClay, Owen Duell. So a real roll call of uh, successful British riders over the years. And, and you've, the, the fund has just been made a charity. What difference is that going to make to your work? As a fund, you could say that we would be like a, a small organisation. As a charity, when we're going to be much more recognised, um, more professional, we are hoping to raise more money and to be able to do more. Uh, we can attract a lot more corporate money. Uh, businesses are very interested now. We've had a few discussions already with people that are interested to donate and help us. And you and Tim run this famous house in Belgium, uh, which has been home to not just British cyclists, but uh, a lot of uh, pro cyclists over the years. How did that come about? 100% by chance. Uh, I just, I, I, when I stopped cycling or stopped racing, I'd... Um, had enough of it really, and I went into. I uh, started a business in furniture in Belgium, and I bought this big house, and um, not with any idea at all to um, to uh, host cyclists or anything. And then that year, as I bought it, I got to know Tom Barris because I'd raced with his father Sid, and uh, Tom came to live in Belgium. And so I got back into cycling via via Tom Barris, and uh, just at the time that I'd bought this house and. Um, then I get a call from one of his teammates. Oh, we've got some, um, got some Australian lads coming over. Uh, would you uh, like to host them? Well, I said, okay, we've got this house. I wasn't, we weren't living there. And uh, so these Australians came and then word of mouth went so quickly because uh, Rod Ellingworth then brought some of the, the academy, which was just starting over. So like some Mark Cavendish came. And it just snowballed from there because without any... Uh, forethought of starting this house suddenly people from all over the world were just calling because to this day you can more or less race every day in Belgium so this is the only country really that you can get off the plane with your racing license and start racing that afternoon and so it's very very simple to race if you go to Italy France or Spain you have to be part of a team Belgium is still really a really good start starting point for foreign riders and that house that we have was just like uh, a place where people could uh, stay while they were racing. So Izzy Stone, you've, you're a Dave Rayner-supported rider, and you've actually been doing some racing in Belgium, as Tim was explaining, haven't you? What, what's that been like? I've been there for the last two years, uh, with help from Dave Rayner Fund, of course. And for the first year, I definitely found it very hard. It was a shock to the system, and you get your head kicked in week in, week out, until you it clicks and you learn what you actually need to do to survive, basically. Is it the racing or the conditions or, or a sort of a combination of it? All or? of the above. So the, the racing itself is very hard, but also moving out of home for the first time, learning how to cope surviving on your own, basically. And if you're living on your own in Belgium or with teammates or with friends... It's kind of the the entire thing. If I, I the first first year I was out there, I lived with some friends and then had to move 
to a different house and then it was with some new people I didn't know so much. Um, and it was just getting used to the changes in the life while trying to be consistent on the bike as well. And then learning from the first year, I made sure that off the bike, it was all fairly consistent with where I lived, how I was getting to races, where I was going to a food shop, things as simple as that, to just make sure that everything was perfect for the day I come to race, that I know I'm fully prepared for that race and have given myself the best possibility for the best result, basically. And the challenge of racing in Belgium in particular is the weather, isn't it? Well, yes. Um, weather, crosswinds, but also just even if you're just doing a Kermesse race, the people that turn up are not only just your club riders, you can get UCI riders, world tour riders that turn up because that's their local race and you're racing against the best people in the world in a small local race. So it's the best preparation for when you do then move on to do bigger UCI races where there are big teams there, big riders there, and it is a whole new ballpark. And what difference has the Dave Rayner funding made to you over the past couple of years? It's brilliant. It's given me the best opportunity to fully commit and to ride full-time to give myself the best possibility to be able to ride my bike to to the best ability I can. And without it, it definitely would have stunted my progression. And I feel like having the fund helping me for the last two years, um, I go into the season giving it everything I have during the winter, knowing that I now have the opportunity to be as prepared as I know I can be because of the opportunity the fund has given me by supporting me so I don't have to work and everything I do I train hard when I'm on the bike and rest as best as I can to make sure I am perfectly recovered for what I'm then doing next. George, Jerry, you've spent a couple of years in Spain where I imagine the weather's slightly better, but the racing is also uh, pretty challenging, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. So I was in Spain for four years, uh, free of it, supported by the fund. And uh, yeah, the fund, just like Izzy was saying, has allowed me to, allowed me in that time to really make the most of the opportunity. I didn't have to work. I could live as a full-time cyclist, which gave me a chance in the races. And it was, I got a lot out of the experience, um, like Izzy was saying, about organisation and things like that. And I've come to the end of my four years and things sort of haven't worked out for me in terms of <clears throat> achieving my goal of becoming a professional cyclist. Um, but I've had the opportunity to sort of learn a language and I've got into rider coaching and things like that. And I think it's important as well to talk about the fact that the fund doesn't um, pretend to be a golden ticket to the pros. It's really inspiring for us to hear all the names that have come through the fund to make it to the world tour. Uh, but the fund is for riders who may be doing it anyway it's just to make sure that they have every opportunity of making a success of it and for me now I can come to events like the Ruler Classic and be around races and be entirely at peace with the fact that I tried my best and uh, gave it my all there's no regrets there's no doubts if I'd have had different opportunities. Because you've got to prove I guess to the Dave Rayner Fund um, beforehand that you are serious about it that you're actually putting the work in and you are going to be committed to it. Yeah for as much as the fund supports riders it's very important um, for those who apply to be able to say what team they're going to where they're going to live to have a, to show the fund that you've got a clear idea that this is what you want to do and then um, 
this, this is to sort out people. You know, this, it's meant to be. Uh, it's not meant to be a professional team. You're meant to be hungry to to get to the next stage. It's not meant to be. It's, it's not meant to be a safety net or a cushion. It's meant to be just something that uh, allows you to make the most of the opportunity that you've um, worked hard for. And what was the big sort of uh, difference for you when you went across to? Uh, racing in Spain what were the big challenges for you well first of all I'd, I'd started racing at Hernhill Velodrome on the track so there was a transition to the road and the main challenges for me were sort of coordinating with the team because in the first team I was with Caja Rural uh, development team we there we had maybe 30 riders on the roster and only seven would go to a Spanish cup race for example so the rest of the team would be left without a race that weekend and either you could be the best which I wasn't and I was also the youngest so I had to make sure I offered a lot to the team in terms of support um, make sure I could communicate with other riders show that I was a good worker so the first thing there was learning the language and it wasn't something I thought much I just thought I need to learn the language in order to make a success of what I'm doing and then gradually in my time in Spain I sort of grew into a bigger part of each team a chance to lead teams and have riders work for me and then generally on bottle duty and things like that it was like an apprenticeship to being a professional cyclist and all the while I was thinking all of these things are going to be great to be able to have experience of if one day I've got the opportunity to ride for a professional team and then even in the last my last year in Spain they approved race the use of race radios in Spanish amateur racing which changed changed the the tactics quite a lot and they needed a good communicator because I'd worked on my Spanish I could sort of be the road captain and communicate with the Spanish and South American riders and the other English speaking riders on the team. So if you're not going to be a pro cyclist um, what does the future hold and what have you sort of learned from those four years and the three years supported by the fund yeah, uh, that um, will help you? So I mentioned um, I got into coaching and I've learned the language which are things that are, are sort of helping me going forward. And just in general, the, the the entire experience. And also for the fund, I was keen to help support and help get the word out to more people. So I started writing a blog, which I didn't think much of at the time. I thought one day maybe a team would read this. Um, and when I finally get some good results, they'd look back and say, you know, he hasn't been getting results until now because he's been on bottle duty doing lead out trains. But actually, the blog has sort of served as a bit of a CV for me. And I've been able to sort of show it to people and, and been able to find work with it quite easily. In the same way, my peers who have gone to university are able to talk about their degree and their experiences there and actually from next week I'm going to be start starting a full-time place with Hexa Helmets um, on their sales team and so they were just keen to get someone who uh, had a good knowledge of the cycling world and could speak uh, a language and um, I just sort of showed them that I was there was a there was more about more about me than just um just just being a bike rider you're listening to the ruler podcast supported by lacquer bicycle insurance powered by the community I'm Mark Williamson and I've been a Lacquer customer since the start of 2019, so about eight months now. So I was on this new bike and stopped off at a coffee shop at a hotel just to send a few emails and make a call. Came out and found someone had taken off um, the headset at the front, they'd cut the braking gear cables, they'd unscrewed the handlebars and stolen the, the, the bars and shifters. Lacquer were phenomenal actually. I was blown away by both the immediacy and the kind of helpfulness of the support. They seemed keen to help uh, and it was just a remarkably hassle-free experience. I couldn't have been happier with the service despite being incredibly frustrated that somebody had decapitated my, uh, my new bike. And you can find out more about Lacquer on their website, laka.co.uk. 
Now, alongside all the current riders and the legends of the sport of the Ruler Classic were some of the best bike brands in the business. Ruler Desire editor Stuart Clapp led me on a tour of the stands and we found ourselves admiring the bikes from a long-standing British brand. So continuing on our uh, little wander around the stands, we've um, arrived at the Ribble stand and uh, has to be said, there's a lovely bike uh, right in the forefront, uh, which doesn't really look like what I'd imagine the Ribbles will look like, Stuart. No, I think Ribble, more than, than anyone, um, have had a, had a bit of a facelift. Not saying they didn't look like this before, but what I'm saying is, is that they are not the Ribble that perhaps we are used to seeing. They, uh, especially these ones, because they've had a bit of a, a fancy uh, paint job, especially for the show. Um, one behind me is an e-bike again. I'm banging on about e-bikes. I won't let it go. It's flipping lovely. Lovely paint job. Lovely, lovely. And is this the one Sean Yates is riding? This is exactly the model that Sean Yates is riding. It is our, our SLE carbon road bike uh, that inhabits that e-bike motion X35 drive system that offers you that 250 watt power delivery. Uh, that Bluetooth compatibility, like, like what you mentioned now, that how Sean rides it, is, as he actually connects his heart rate strap to the bike through an app that should he hit a certain beat per minute, the bike automatically kicks in with assistance. I, I, he was talking about that on stage when he was up there with Brad, actually, saying about how he, um, he, like, his heart rate can't go over 140 anymore because he's had like, health issues. Yes, yeah. So at 139, it kicks in, and that's it. It keeps him stable. And that, that, that's exactly right. The bike takes over. It enables him to ride his bike. It enables him to ride longer, further, which is exactly the clientele basis we see coming through the doors at Preston at our HQ. Um, and my customers for the e-bike is customers who uh, isn't looking to cheat or to win Strava segments. They are there because they enjoy the sport, which is the passion we all share, uh, to get our bums on saddles and ride bikes longer and further. And that's the purpose of the bike, is, is to enable those people to ride it. That's exactly what we've talked about on the podcast before. And it's, I, I think, you know, we, well, I'm going over old ground, but, but essentially that, that is, we, we just want to ride our bikes. And at some point, it's going to become harder to go out with your mates who are maybe not had the training on like you know not as much fit I actually had yesterday a, a, a group of gents who came and you could see they were very established in their years of cycling as well and they came and looked at it and they couldn't believe what they were looking at I, they, I had to take it down and I had to assure them that listen this is an e-bike this is how it works he picked it up he's like but I can pick this up I, I can pick it up onto my roof carrier it's they, they were blown away and then as well from the price point of view you know that the, you that they expected, especially this model here with this glittery purple sparkle paint, they would expect it to be in, in the high thousands region, you know, and then you tell them what the retail price is of the bikes, and they're blown away. They, they absolutely can't believe. It's like you say, you know, Rebel has had a facelift. I'm actually looking at the bike behind you at the moment. We had this in. It's the, what, what, what model is this? It's the really large so, so, one, right? So this is, our, this is our carbon SLR range, which is also the, the, the chassis and the platform for our pro team bike. Uh, so that's that lightweight carbon construction with the monocoque carbon front fork, um, keeping the bike really light. This display model, which we've made once, of, especially for the, the, the classic show, uh, is uh, the, that 24-karat uh, gold leaf paint on that uh, blue marble, that custom blue marble, coming in at 5.6 kilograms. Uh, you know, it's just to, to showcase what we actually can do at Ribble. 
uh, we, we, we say that we are real bike people and uh, we design your bike your way. So if that is your way, then that's your way. THM cranks. Yeah. You're not mucking around if you're, if you're having them on there, are you? No, lightweight wheels, so yeah. Beautiful, looks really good. Awesome. Cenk, thanks for your time. Thank you. Cheers, buddy. Thank you. See you then. Jaco van Zittert of Ribble talking to Stu at the Ruler Classic. And that's it from this Ruler podcast. We'll be back in 2020. We'll see you then. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.